Hey everyone, welcome to the Home Team Podcast. Steve Carter here, and last week we had the opportunity to kind of interrogate Sam Ponder, get to know her a little bit better, and um, really kind of hear some moments in her story that made her who she is. And today, it's Sam Acho's turn. And so, Sam, I'm, I'm excited because, you know, you're one of my closest friends, um, but I'm excited to kind of learn, as I know so many people, what were those defining moments that made you the seven that you are? The, the, the guy with the smile, the guy just uh, who cares about people, um, who just, uh, yeah, is, is just such a good man. So, hey, we would love just to hear your story. Yeah, well, you talk about those defining moments make, that make me a seven. I don't know if they're, these are good things or bad things, but one thing that, that the first thought that came to mind was being probably in fourth or fifth grade. And I went to an all-boys private school. It was like 80 people in our graduating class. Like it was like a nerd school, a school for nerds. Like my one of my friends won the National Spelling Bee in fifth grade. Like he won the National Spelling Bee. He was in my class, right? His name is Sai Gunturi. Poco Curante was his word. I was going to say, I hosted the bee, so I'm Yes, his name I is Sai. He was in fifth grade. That's a little name drop uh, right there. Former <laughs> host of the yes. Spelling Bee. <laughs> yes, but so like, so that was the thing, you know. That was the thing. Like it was not like you know, f- like people. I, I know people who grew up in Detroit, and it was like, man, from my walk from school to home, it was a fight every five minutes. Yeah, you know I mean, like I had to just, you know, that's the way I grew up. You know, we joke, we joke, Sam, you and I know Prince Amukamara. I got to shout him out on the show. Prince, like I'm from the hood, man. I'm from the streets. Like Prince, you're from Glendale. Like we know where you're from. But so for me, like I grew up, it was you know, the church I went to was in like in the hood in Dallas and South Dallas. But the school I went to was an all white school, all white college prep. And so for me, fighting was never really a big thing. And one thing I just remember, though, like the only fight I got in was probably fifth or sixth grade. There's this dude named Heath Townsend. And I was a big kid, but Heath was kind of like that guy Wait, who- excuse me. What was, his name was Heath? Yeah, you name- were definitely not going to school in the hood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Heath. When the bully's name is Heath, <laughs> you should be all right. It was a scary time. Spelling champion and Heath. <laughs> I'm like I'm sending my kid there. Offensive. We're we're offending people. It was we're the hey y'all hey y'all need to hey it was we're the number one private school in the United States St. Mark's School of Texas. We got a new sponsor now. (laughs) 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 No, but seriously, so like I remember all I remember is we we had a we were playing soccer at lunch. And Heath, Heath was a bigger kid than everybody else. He kicked this he kicked the ball as hard as he could, like six feet away from somebody, and it hit him square in the face. And I just remember him laughing uncontrollably. And I was the guy who, like, the guy he kicked it in front of, if I, if my memory's not mistaken me, like, was a guy who already had some, like, some disabilities already. And um, it was one of those things where this guy was always picked last. And I was, you know, I was, if I ever was a captain, I'd always, you know, I, I still try to win, but I'll always make sure the guys who always got picked last got a chance to be picked first or second or third because I feel like I could equalize my... Heath and Cy were my classmates, so we were going to be fine. Um, and so anyways, he, he, he kicked this ball in this guy's face and just started laughing and laughing. And I saw everybody else start laughing and laughing and laughing. And like something in me, probably 12 or so years old, just stirred up. And I went in this guy's face and I just pushed him. I said, dude, don't, don't do that. And his face got red. And anyways, like he shoved me, I shoved him. And next thing you know, I had him in a headlock. And, and I'm not the guy to like, fight or whatever but it was just this thing of like dude like don't do that 
I mean, yeah, I might be this nice and lovable and whatever, but don't do that. There are certain things that would always rile me up, and that was one thing. And anytime I saw somebody get picked on, I feel like I was like the protector against the bullies, right? Because I was always big, but I always was friends with everyone, you know? And so that was, as far as like being a seven, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of me that wants to bring people together and be friendly, but there's also like, and this kind of is a theme of life, there's also, uh, and I laugh because there are some stories in the NFL, I don't know if we want to get into them, but about oh, similar things that happened, except, except for their names weren't Heath, their names were not <laughs> Heath or Cy. <laughs> um, but there was always something inside me that felt like I had to like prove, I don't not even prove myself, but like there's something inside that like I got to stand up for something or somebody. What was the dynamic like, Sam, um, being an African-American guy that still has ties to his African roots. Obviously, your parents are Nigerian. You're Nigerian. You guys still spend time there. Being in that type, I mean, anybody who, who's been in that, that part of Dallas and knows the area that you grew up in, there's a lot going on there. And um, for someone with your background and your history who looks the way you look, what was the dynamic like for you in in trying to both fit in, but still be who you were created to be. I'm reminded of KB. He has this song. um, In in the song, he says, black boy, all white class, call me the white boy with the black mask. He said, white, he's like, white vocab on the South side, boy, you better have a nice jab. And so for me, like that verse, I feel like he was somewhat telling my life story, right? Because I'm thinking about like the school I go to, black boy, all white class. It was probably three black kids in my school. Me, in my, my grade, excuse me. Me, Paul Wiggins, and Charles Holly. It, it was us, you know? And and we had 80-something people in our graduating class. But that was my school. But my church was in South Dallas. Like, this song's Oak Cliff. That's my hood. Put it in your face. Get that understood. You know what I mean? Like, that's the that was every Sunday and every Wednesday. That was where I went. But then at home, my parents were first-generation uh, they they came, they were born and raised in Nigeria, had come to America to start a new life. And so like at home, it was, I wasn't like Sam or Sammy, it was Onyedi, like my, my Evo name. Onyedi Kachi, right? That means, the name means who was like unto God, but there was no like, hey, Sam or Acho. It was like Onyedi, Onyedi. What do you, you know what I mean? It was like, and it was culture, like education was everything. Food, we ate, we ate and still eat because my wife was from Nigeria, goat meat, oxtail, uh, rice and stew, fried plantain. Like it was like, so at home, it felt like I was in Nigeria. I didn't, you don't know any different. It was just, it was, is what it is. And school was very different. I think about one example that, that I think a lot of maybe black kids um, or maybe even Nigerian kids probably deal with as well is I remember being at my school with Heath and Sai and the, you know, like I said, it was a nerdy school. And I remember being, once again, that same like sixth or seventh grade time frame, and people in the school, like they're very well off, very, very well off. And so I remember waiting for my mom to pick me up from school. Mom worked a couple jobs. Dad worked a couple jobs. Like they were working, just trying to make ends meet. We were on scholarship at the school. And so I remember one of the kids like picked up the phone at the place called Nearburg Hall for his mom to pick him up. His mom was running like five or 10 minutes late. And he picks up the phone. He says, mom, where are you? Hurry up. Come on. And I'm like, is that something we do? Like, and so I remember, and my mom, I mean, she worked all the time. So she wasn't like, I wasn't the first one being, I was usually like the last one. Like the teachers would be like, hey, are your parents around? I'm like, oh, they'll be fine. Like this is Nigerian time, you know? But no, but I remember trying that one time with my mom, like she was maybe, you know, five or 10 or 15, however many minutes late. And I picked up, cause I didn't have a cell phone, picked up that phone at Nearburg Hall. I'm like, mom, where are you? Come on, hurry up. 
two things happened. Number one, the look she gave me when I got in. And then the, uh, the second thing was the phrase was, this was how you knew it was going to go down. Just wait till your dad gets home. Oh, yeah. Been there. Been there. I'm just impressed she still picked you up. <laughs> right. I'm telling you. Well, the thing, and, and, and so like the thing with my, but my dad was like, he'd bring out the belt. That was like his, like, you know, obviously this one, but also the belt, right? It was just, I mean, it is what it is. And my mom in Igbo, they call it an itari, which was like a switch. So you go out, like you have to go out to the back and get the switch, right? And so, and, and people talk about this is very taboo, like whatever, but like, man, back at the, 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 the school I went to way beforehand, like there was a school where the teachers would have the rulers and like, if you were acting out of line, discipline. And so, um, and I think a lot of that is is helps shape me into the man I am today. Let this quarantine go on a little bit longer, and we're all going back to those days. <laughs> like, yes. Can we just yes. be honest right now? I had a few moments today yes. where I was like, "There's a stick right over there." Should I not say that? <laughs> Sorry. Yes, but I, continue. But, no, but but growing up, it, I mean, it was like so. That was my. That's how I grew up. I grew up like Nigerian household, but like Caucasian, you know, rich, well off in school, but then also church was, you know, predominantly African-American, like in the hood. So I didn't really know who I was. And I, and I, I think back and I think it's a benefit because now I know, I feel like I can relate to anyone, right? Guys in my locker room, I can relate to CEOs or presidents. I can relate to uh, Nigerian culture. I can relate to, but back then I, I just felt Loss isn't really a great word, but identity was not the main. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't come in knowing who I was. I was this great athlete, but also I didn't really associate with the jocks. I was super intelligent and loved education, but people looked at me like, um, dude, go play football. And also, like, there's this other piece that I felt like no one really understood about, like, my culture, like, Nigeria. And, like, dude, we, I go there. I spend Christmas and New Year's there pretty much every year, go there every summer. So, like, but no, it seemed like no one cared. And so it, it was this very interesting dynamic growing up. So how did you find um, a sense of self or identity when you technically did not fit into any group you actually saw, like outside of your family? And obviously you're different. I mean, people who know your brother, like you guys are really different. So it's not even within your own family, there are differences like all of our families. How did you develop a sense of self and identity when you couldn't see it in front of you? I feel like I'm still learning who I am. And I'm 31. I'm 31 years old. And I feel like just in the last year or two, I'm just starting to learn who I am. And I say that because for so long, I would, I don't want to necessarily call it put on a mask, but I would try to fit in. So in the locker room, I'd be like, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, uh, Keem? Hey, hey, what's up? You know what I mean? That would be me, right? But then amongst like a certain group, it'd be like, hey, I'm Sam. Good to meet you. Let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, whatever. And then another group, it's like, hey, I can recite Shakespeare and quadratic equations. And, you know what I mean? And so it just, and that was like the struggle because it would depend like who I was around, right? A chameleon, like growing up, people say, what's your favorite superhero or favorite animal? Whatever. My mind was like a chameleon. You know what I mean? Like, cause you could, it was like the idea of being able to change and to adapt based on your situation really intrigued me, but I didn't realize it really watered, I felt like it watered down who I really was. And it wasn't until, honestly, probably last 20, what, 2018? Or 20, going, 2018 going into 2019, so two years ago, it was like, dude, like, who are you? Deep down, I knew who I was, um, but for so long I had been hiding, and just now I feel like I'm coming out of my shell. Sam, you've, you've had, um, and you kind of alluded to this, some of those justice themes, this great protector, um, you know, standing up for people, advocating, um, even in uh, your off season, heading to uh, Nigeria. Um, 
Was that something that was just like modeled at home? Was that something that, you know, are you, are you the oldest child? Like, where did that like justice heart come from? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm not the oldest child, but I'm the oldest boy. And in Nigerian culture, the oldest boy is a, is a big deal. So my, my, my name, my parents named me Samuel um, because Samuel means heard by God. They had two older girls. They had two girls. And they obviously love all their kids, but they were praying for a boy because in Nigerian culture, you have a boy. That means your, your last name, everything you have can be carried down, passed down. And what I mean by that is like you go back to like the village in Nigeria where my, the land that my granddad's granddad had. And that wasn't much, but my dad, you know, inherited that land. And then now he came to America, did a ton, but built on that land, right? So this thing of like family name and and being the first son is a big deal. And I didn't really realize that. I just felt like, oh, you know, I'm I think I'm awesome. And people think I'm awesome, so I'm awesome. I didn't realize it was like, nah, dude, you have, <laughs> you're you're gonna run this thing in a little bit. That's kind of like what is expected. And so, but then at the same time, though I was though I was a first son, I was also a middle kid. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. So this almost like mediation thing was really important for me, always being a peacemaker. Like I could sense, I could always sense if something was wrong between whether my mom or dad or my sisters or brother. I didn't know exactly how to verbalize it, but it was like if anything was wrong. It was almost like, you know, Steve, you allude to it sometimes about kids. You used to have a saying about kids. I don't, what was that saying you say about kids? Like they're great at... Oh, they're, they're very, very perceptive. They're just crappy interpreters of reality. Yes, and that was me. Like I'm like, man, there's something up, but I didn't know how to interpret it. And so I don't know if it was how I was raised or I feel like how God wired me, but there's this deal about peacemaking, but there's also a deal about, nah, man, like justice. I, I think about where I train. There's a guy where I used to train in the off season, and like he talked about how like, you know, dojos, where they were training dojos, how people would train, they would do that thing, like the fist, like think about Jackie Chan, right? The fist, one hand open, one hand closed. The open open hand represented like peace, but the closed hand represented this like war mentality and how after and before you'd fight, you would bow, but as you would bow, you'd keep your eye up and on your opponent. And so for me, I feel like I got this one hand that's this whole like peace and let's make peace, but this other deal of like, nah, like if something's wrong, like there's this like my blood starts to boil and it's literally just a matter of, am I going to step up and say what I need to say or am I going to shy back? And I mean, there are times, I'll just skip right to it um, in the NFL where like, I don't know what made me do this, but for some reason, I always want to go after the biggest, baddest guy on the team. And it might've been the Heath, I might be going back to my fifth grade days seeing Heath in them, but like, I'm like, dude, I go back to, so Kyle Long is a friend of mine and Kyle and I are very similar, but Kyle's 6'5", 335 and like, mentally unstable right and i am too in a lot of ways i'm not going i mean i i mean that in the best of ways and calls a homie so call is yeah <laughs> keep going and so like i remember like and i'm trying i just signed with the bears right going on my fifth year in the league first time on a new team trying to prove myself and so i'm you know i'm going full speed you know not turning back and kyle was like the guy on the team and so i remember just like you know new guy and he had been the guy on the team and i remember he tried you know he pushed me a little bit late and i pushed him back and I think a lot of people usually didn't do that because he's bigger and, you know, scarier, if you will, than a lot of people. But for me, it wasn't about the pushback. It's like, no, the respect, you don't do that. Don't do that, right? Well, Kyle is a little bit, you know, like I said, we're similar in a lot of ways. And so well, he pushed me back. And next thing you know, uh, fight ensued. 
And it wasn't just like one of the fights where it was like, all right, you know, pull each other away. It was like, nah, man, I got to earn my respect somehow, some way. And I think about that phrase, like so a lot of people, you know, it's like, like I said, I grew up having to walk down the street every every five minutes I'm fighting. That wasn't me, but it was this thing of like, hey, man, like just because I'm new, you don't get to just do what you want to do. You know what I mean? And just because I'm a quote unquote nice guy, like I remember there's another guy named Eric Winston, who's actually the former NFL PA uh, president. Uh, and he just, you know, there's a new president now. And I, I, mean, I like I served good under ones. him. I gotta give you that. <laughs> I know. And Eric, Eric, I mean, Eric's six seven, Eric's six seven, three forty or so. Just back when I was the Cardinals. I would lead Bible studies, like do prayers, like the whole deal. I remember one day in practice, same kind of thing. I'm trying to, you know, I'm going against him. He played offensive line, I played defensive line, and it was in practice, and he pushed me late. I said, Hey man, don't do that again. He's like, Why not? I said, just don't do that again. And so next thing we go up the next the next play, and he does it again. And, and I'm like, bro, enough is enough. Like, don't, don't you dare. And so he says something to the effect of like, who do you think you are? Like, I'm not scared of you. And I don't care what God you serve. No God will be able to save you this time or something to that, to that effect. And mind you, like, it was like things were getting heated. It was training camp. Like we were going like play after play after play. But he said this thing about like, no God, like your God won't be able to save you now. And I was like, like well, now you have to die. <laughs> I was like, you have, to, I got so upset. And so literally, I, I don't know if I prayed or if I didn't, but I was like, God, you got it. I wish I didn't even have a good comeback. I was like, I'll pray for you. Like I didn't have, I didn't know what to say. I was just upset. And by the grace of God, and I know it's on tape. The very next play, we're going against each other in practice. And like I said, I'm, I'm 6'2", 250, whatever, 6'3", 255, whatever. He's like, got about 100 pounds on me in five, six inches. The very next play, I go up and, and like I pancake him. And maybe he tripped over his feet. Maybe he didn't. Maybe it was the act of God blowing him down. But like, and, and like I said, I didn't have a great like saying like, you know, John 316. I didn't have, line. I didn't have, no. Take that, Heath. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it was like this whole deal of like, nah, man, like I might be nice or kind or whatever, but there's something else in there that's like a lion, like a wolf, like a like I don't know how to describe it. And I, and I think about like like we were playing the the Cleveland Browns one one 2017, I guess, and it was also a, a, a interesting year. We can get into that later, but like I remember this feeling of like being in the game and feeling like a wolf, like a legitimate like like I was I was getting after this dude, and it was it was like a 2017 was a pretty rough year for me in a lot of ways, and it came out on the football field. But it was one of the last games of the season. I feel like I've been being disrespected by my teammates, by my coaches, even by a little bit of family in a lot of ways. And like it just seemed like for the first time in a long time, the football field was just a way for me to escape. And I just felt this freedom on that field. And I remember like getting after the offensive lineman. I remember hearing in my mind this like deal of like smell blood, you know? And I literally remember just sniffing like, you know what I mean? Like it was this thing. And like, I'm not saying that's how I am all the time, but there's something inside that just... That just clicks. That's on the thing I've always been fascinated with you is, you know, I've seen you, you know, get after it on the football field and soldier field and, you know, and even, you know, past season, you know, just watching you make a couple sacks for the Buccaneers. Like, is it like a, you're on the sideline and you're just happy go lucky, like firing your teammates up. You're like encourager. And then you go in and then it's it like, inner Bobby Boucher, like, how do you maintain that switch and channel that switch in the right way? I mean, for me, it's, it, it just goes back to like, who am I? You know what I mean? In college, I would like, 
like, you know, I'd get my headphones on and just get so riled up before, like, I would, like, try and get myself pumped up before games, whatever, and that, that was never who I was. Like, I did it so much where I'd be, like, I'd be, like, rapping on a bus and, like, on the way to the game, and, like, I would be so exhausted by then that I'd legitimately be, like, falling asleep before the game, legitimately. And so, like, I had to kind of find out, like, all right, Sam, who are you and when, like, when do you need to really tune it in? When do you, when do you need to kind of dial it back? And... For me, there's not really this like switch on the field, but there is this thing of 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 respect, of preparation, of wanting to be excellent, and a deal of like, okay, let me use the gifts God gave me to the best of my ability. And so, like for that game in particular, it wasn't like this deal of like a switch flipped, but like it was just like you were in the zone. I was in the zone or a zone or whatever, and all my preparation was working. Everything I had envisioned was working and it was just this deal of like hey don't hold back like for so long like I, y'all, I, we laugh and joke but like i resonate with elsa from frozen you know what i mean because it's like this deal of like let it go let it go like don't hold back and you're laughing but i'm so serious i would listen to let it go before games you want to know how yes. it? that's straight up yeah i'm so serious I'm so serious. I didn't even, and I would, I would hide when I would do because I didn't want my teammates laughing at me, right? But I would check here. Sam, Sam, you know what's going to make you feel better right now? I'm about to blow up my own husband here. I don't know if this is even allowed. You know what Christian used to listen to before games? During training camp, what he used to listen to before practice. We're talking like July, August, September. Just a little uh, Nat King Cole Christmas music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a true story. He was getting geared up to go from some... So, you know what? To each his own. Whatever works for you. If you want to go into the unknown before you try yes. and take down Tom Brady, go right yes. ahead. Yes. But that's like... It was this thing of like, be free. Like, be free. Let it, and, that, and even like watching that... Like I literally would go to the go to YouTube and put it. I wanted to watch the actual like scenes from the movie as I'm listening. Okay, now it's and then, like <laughs> I'm just being honest though. But it was like there was like a freedom. There was this y'all are laughing at me. Hey, I, I'm, I'm there. Love. So you know what I mean. There was this freedom of like, hey, like yeah, I'm this yeah, I'm a football player and I'm this big bad guy, but I love Frozen and I love like and I'm still gonna go out there and be great and sack the quarterback while listening to Let It Go and Into the Unknown and show yourself like which I all I know all these like word for word. Yeah, no, hey, there's no shame in that. And if it makes you feel better, uh, Teddy Bruski, who's on uh, Countdown with me before the Super Bowl, we're we're driving up to the set. And I don't, it must have come on the radio or something, but I think it was Into the Unknown that comes on. And he is dead serious. And everybody knows that, like, Teddy Bruschi was an animal out there. This, this man <laughs> says, you know, you know, Frozen 2 was, was really disappointing. Was really disappointing to me. I just, I, I didn't feel it. The way I felt that, and I look over it, and I'm thinking this is like, oh, he's just being sorry. He was dead serious. He was very upset. <laughs> so you are not alone, Sam, okay? Maybe it's a linebacker thing. I don't know. Can we go back to something really quick? Because I, I know we kind of skipped over it a little bit, but I know you you brought up your family and, and the issues of, of respect, and you've talked before on this show about kind of being a pleaser and wanting to keep people happy with you and and stay in everybody's good graces, which is obviously a, a common thing. But I know also in the the culture that you grew up in, in Nigerian culture, um, the the 
respect and approval of your parents is a lot more important than I think in some um, traditional, like in even in a family like mine, where I, I certainly care what my parents think and have good parents, but there isn't the same dynamic there. And you are now 31 with kids and a wife and a, a whole life outside of the home that you grew up in. But I know there are different dynamics there. How have you managed wanting to be one, a good son and, and honor your parents and also kind of go, go your own way um, while you still try and, and please them, if you will. I'll say in our culture, if, if I will, or in Nigerian culture, like your parents' approval is everything. So my parents approving of the decisions I make what school I go to, what my profession is, who I marry, it, it's it, how many kids I have, like it's everything. I even think of, of and it, it's from a young age. I think about being in high school and my, my, my sister, my oldest uh, sister, her name is Chichi. She had just gotten accepted to Northwestern and she was still trying to apply for medical school and all this stuff. But I remember hearing my, my, my dad say, oh, my, my daughter, she's a doctor. She's a doctor. And I'm like, is that how it worked? I thought you had to actually go to school for, you know what I mean? Or even when I was in the, when I went to when I went to go play at Texas. Yeah, my son, he's going to the NFL. I was like, "Dad, I don't even play yet. Forget start." <laughs> like it was like this thing of like it was like this 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 like pride, like the way, you know, the George Jefferson like that was like the deal like you you wanted that. And for me and 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 it, and it, it hits people different. It hits cuz so Emmanuel, my younger brother, like he doesn't feel any of that. He's the baby of the family. He almost can do what he wants. Like he's not the first son. Like for but for me, it hits me. Like I feel like man, like I cannot let my parents down. Still to this day. Wait, why not? Like what? What do you think would happen? And I've act- I had to practice the whole. And then what thing that we talked about on previous episodes? It's like man, like I think about inheritance as crazy or as far off. Or I mean, I think about like the family inheritance or our last name or whatever. It's like man, will I be? I think about like the whole like Jacob and Esau thing. You know what I mean? Like the whole like Jacob, you know, the younger served the older. And I'm like, man, like Jacob sold his 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 birthright or his inheritance. You know, he gave it to his younger brother. And I'm like, man, would I be missing out on this inheritance? What is the inheritance? It's like a, we ain't got like millions and billions of dollars in the bank, but it's just like this idea of like my dad saying, I'm so proud of you, my son. Or, or it's not even to me, to other people. Look, my son plays in the NFL. Or my son is on ESPN. Or my son, fill in the blank. Like, like that's what I would, would lose. And for me, for the longest time, Sam, to answer your question, if I ever, I was scared of feeling that. Because if I didn't have that, I, it's almost like I didn't have anything. He, he was like an idol uh, for me. His approval. And I ran into issue after issue trying to chase it. What do you wish he would say? What I wish he would say? Like, what do you what do you wish he would say? My son is blank. Honestly, it doesn't even matter what he would say. I just wish it wouldn't matter to me as much. Is what I wish. So he started a church in Niger in Nigeria, or excuse me, a, a, we do a medical center in Nigeria. He started a, a church out here in Dallas. Uh, he does business in Nigeria. And in so many ways, like I try to support what he's doing. And I remember having a friend who back when I was at Phoenix, he said, hey, Sam, so tell me about you and like things you care about and things that you've done and started. I'm like, man, well, in Nigeria, we got this hospital. He's like, yeah, that's your dad's thing. I'm like, no, no, but I got to, 
no, no, that's your dad's thing. Okay, well, yeah, well, you know, we take these trips every summer. Yeah, that's your dad. Um, well, I do. And it was all these things that I thought were me, but it's like, no, that's not your thing. But like, even in conversations with him, it's been like, well, no, man, you're an extension of me. Like, that's what the culture says. The culture says you are an extension. Even when it comes to like husband and wife relations, right? It's like, you know, I remember going to some, Sam, we talked about PAO, professional athletes outreach. You have these speakers who come and speak and they talk about leave and cleave. And for, for a lot of professional athletes, I think it's hard leaving and cleaving your mom because a lot of professional athletes, it's like you're raised by your mom and like mom, you know, it's me and mom, like we're a package deal. But for me, a lot of it was my dad because it was this thing of like, I didn't know how to verbalize it, but it was like, no, I'm an extension of him. So before I make a decision, I got to run it by him. And before I do what I want, I got to get his opinion. And I mean, like I said, like as a young child, it's like, yeah, cool, great, man, you're such a good son. But there comes a point, and I think there came a point where that opinion, his opinion, became more important than God's. Yeah. And that's always the scary thing, right? Because it's a slow fade. Like you don't realize that's happening as a child because there's, there's conditioning there. I mean, I went through... Um, a similar experience, different culturally, but but similar in terms of feeling like uh, your your dad's approval or or saying that you're doing a good job or whatever kind of became your own god. My my question for you though, Sam, and I've struggled with this too, is like, how do you, in one sense, not pass that on to your kid because you want you don't want your kid to feel that same burden, but also not have them overcorrect because I think that's what a lot of us do is we either become you know slaves to our parents' approval or we do the complete opposite and we're like I'm just you know complete individualism you know the very American way where it's like every man for himself and there's no duty to family or responsibility to family now that you're a dad and that you have a son and that you you know you obviously are going to have some of these same um issues just naturally come up how how do you manage all that well we got to be real on this podcast it's a daily struggle it's a daily struggle. And we're actually recording this podcast. My, my five-year-old, my son, is actually in the room. He's asleep now. We were kind of joking about it earlier, which is crazy. Which is, <laughs> I'm sorry, we need to pause. <laughs> this is, his son is literally sleeping right next to him right now. So can we just applaud so him adorable. for that? That's so incredible. adorable. So going back to music, and I'm, you know, there's Lecrae has this song. And in one of the songs, he says, I feel like I'm a failing father trying to raise my family. And a lot of times I resonate with that as well. I'm like, man, like, God, I feel like I messed up, especially with my oldest. Like, the other ones, like, my, my girl, I feel like she's great. Like, granted, I did drop her today trying to flip her around, which was not good. <laughs> she's fine, I'm sure. <laughs> which was not a good thing. Because <laughs> throw a quick aside out there. And my, my one-year-old boy, like, my one-year-old son, I feel like he's, he's going to be fine. But my five-year-old, like, I'm like, because it's this thing of, like, I don't, so much of me, we ask about Sam, who are you? What defines you? Like so much of me, I've always felt like this little kid in a big man's body. And I felt like when I say that, like this five-year-old kid who just wants to play and just wants to have fun and just wants to be loved, just wants to hug people and just want to have a good time. But as you grow and grow, it's like responsibility, not responsibility in like the good way, but like acceptance and love. And if I do this, then they'll really love me. And like, and so, like, Sam, you talk about passing it down. Like, I get so frustrated with him 
And I think a lot of that is frustration that I have with myself that I, I don't want to see him go through. But two things happen. Number one, what I've noticed is recently he's been, I said, I said, hey, Caleb, what, what do you, what do you want to do today? And he'll say, well, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. Here we go. Because somewhere in the last few years, I've almost like developed or trained him to be like, well, get your dad's approval. And if dad thinks it's good, then it's going to be good. And I remember like it'll work to a certain extent, but it will fail you quickly. It's almost like the rug will be pulled from beneath you. And that's the first thing. And the second thing is also this deal of like some days I wake up and like let's I wake up and he might come to the room and I instantly feel this like anxiety in my heart. Like instantly. And I'll straight up like act like I'm still sleeping and just pray and be like, God, help. And it's not. At and least you cause pray because like, all other parents do that. <laughs> and we just pretend we're asleep. So because no. <laughs> he knows, he knows he's like, oh, daddy's just pretending. I'm like, yeah. how do you know? Like, you know, but because it's like, I feel this like, it's like my heart gets tight. And I'm like, God, what is it? And it's almost like the same thing of like, then I, but then I start to resonate with maybe what my dad felt of like, you are an extension of me. And so if you look foolish, it, may, it means that I'm doing a bad job. If you're out of shape, it means I'm not feeding you the right way. If you are, you know, and so it's like, and it's like, no, no, no. And so recently, Sam, like my practice has been, whether it's uh, breakfast time or bedtime, my practice has been reminding myself, like saying a short, quick prayer, saying, God, he's yours. He's not mine. He's yours. Like even the fact that he's in this room tonight, usually I'd be like, dude, go to your room, go to sleep. I don't want to hear it straight up, like stop. But even today I was praying, I was like, God, what would you like this day to look like? You know? And I really feel like the Lord was like, dude, let him like, let him come be a part. And I'm surprised he's asleep right now because usually he's like wide awake and who are you talking to? And oh, Sam Ponder and oh, Steve Carter, you know? And uh, he know, he literally know, like he asks about you guys and it's not that it's annoying. It's really interesting. I'm like, how do you know? Like you pray about, you pray for them more than me. Like making me look bad. But um, straight up he was like, dad, can I see a picture of Sam Ponder? I'm like, dude, you're five. You know what I mean? Dad, where, where's Steve Carter? No, dude, who, how do you even know? And so, but anyways, so those are the two things like this, this, this deal of like, Hey, he wants to please me. And I see that in with my dad as well. And then secondly, the daily almost anxiety where I'm trying to pray and remind myself, God, he's yours. He's not mine. I love just your vulnerability in that, you know, and I think so many of the parents, um, just feel that, you know, on a, on a regular basis, you know, and almost like, We've been trusted with these <laughs> little image bearers, and I don't have a map for how to do this. And I feel like the prayer is, "Don't let me screw it up. Don't let me screw it up. Don't let me." And I and I feel like sometimes what I was handed was both beautiful and broken. And and as I I think about the the Nigerian culture. Um, and some something that you know you you've taught me a little bit about, but what what do you want for that culture, for Caleb and your other two beautiful kids to like be instilled in them, like the best part of the Nigerian culture that's like you don't necessarily see here in the U.S. Oh my gosh, I love this question because so you go to Nigeria and I go there, we go there almost every year and spend a couple weeks there. And like you land, the first thing that stands out is, is not, there's a, there's a different smell over there. I'll just say there is, 
So I guess that's the first thing that hits you. But the second thing is just the joy that people have, like the joy people have on a day-to-day basis. So Sam, you're still laughing about that. It hits you, man. Like you walk, you get off the plane, it's like, whoa, whoa. Hit him with the whoa. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so like, that's the first thing really. And then the second thing you see is just the joy on people's faces. But seriously, like you walk down the street, you walk into a restaurant or you walk into a hotel, or you walk into somebody's house, and the first thing they look at you, they say, you're welcome. You're wel-. And I'm like, I didn't say thank you, no, but they say, you're welcome. Or, or you walk down the street, somebody you know or don't know, they'll dap you up and they'll be like, hey, well done. That's like a saying, an idiom they say over there, well done. And I'm like, dude, like, you know how much that builds me up? Before, I haven't done anything, or you're telling me I'm welcome. Or I haven't even done a good job, or made a sack, or whatever, whatever. and it's like, hey, well done. It's like a well Bob done. Goff culture, it sounds like. You're like speaking into who they're going to be. <laughs> yes. This sounds yes. amazing. And it's like. Emmanuel Acho just makes sense to me right now. This, like, <laughs> just the whole persona, like, yeah, well done. Well done, man. Well done. It's like, it's like, well done. It's like, thank you for coming as you are. Like, just, I'm glad that you showed up. That's the, that's the first thing, right? That, and I call it a joy. The second thing is this, this, community or camaraderie or this unity like the people talk about it takes a village to raise a, raise a child like that that's how it's done in nigerian culture so even even like here like i got cousins and whether we're all hanging out when we were little my dad would correct my cousins and and he's not their mom or their dad but he would correct them if someone was wrong he would correct them same thing i remember a deal back in nigeria we were uh waiting at, a, at an airport and the airport was crowded and people were trying to you know, trying to you know get their bags or whatever. It was just packed. And these younger kids were kind of pushing, fighting, whatever. Not fighting, fighting, but just kind of pushing each other. Probably teenagers, maybe early 20s. And they were kind of getting into it. <clears throat> then all of a sudden, one of them pushed the other too hard and ran into somebody's young child. And all of a sudden, it's like, it seemed like the world had stopped. The world stopped. It's like, hey, what are you all doing? Every single person in this huge crowd, this huge commotion, corrected them. And that doesn't happen here. Here it's like, well, mind your own business. I have this theory that the reason we don't do that here and that it's actually considered offensive, like if somebody else corrects your child, you're like, hold up, who are you? Like, even if it's like your own mom, (laughs) I'm like, mom, mom, we don't do that. You know, (laughs) like the reason I think it's that way is because some cultures more than American culture have agreed upon values where there's, there is agreement in the community, this is objective truth, these are our values, and this is what we live by. So when you're correcting somebody else's kid, most likely you're saying the same thing the parent would be saying. Whereas here, I mean, who knows? Your next door neighbor's a hippie, the other person's a, like, you, you got people all in, in all spectrums of belief and values where there's this sensitivity to like, oh, I don't know if they, would correct them in that way. You know, there's, there seems to be, and you can correct me, I, I very well may be wrong on this, but more agreement within that culture and community on these are the things that we value. Without a doubt. And even, even something as simple, and I saw, this, I saw this last week in the line at Sam's during this COVID situation, even something as simple as, um, I'll call it honesty, but waiting in line. So in Nigeria, we go every summer and we do these medical mission trips and thousands of people line up to get medication or surgeries or whatever from doctors, both Nigerian that are there and American that come with us. And and we go and people will stay up, get up at 4 a.m., walk for a mile or two or three 
to this medical center that, by the grace of God, we built. Even before my dad built it, uh, they would go to an old kind of rundown hospital, and they would wait in line for hours. And when you came, when we would show up, let's say eight a.m. or seven thirty or eight thirty, everyone knew where they were in line. There was no cutting. There was no jumping. If one person tried to cut the other person, it would, like the once again, the whole world would stop. It's like, no, dude, you know better. So I think about that. And I think about also like just the just this deal of like. I mean, people talk about corruption or whatever in Africa or Nigeria or whatever, but like there are these shared values of community and unity and and even the sense of communion of like we are all going to be together. If one of us fails, we all fail. And so I think about a family, you know, think about like, like for example, like there's no such thing as a nursing home in Nigeria. No, no, no. My mom is staying with me or my brother or my sister. There's no such thing. I mean, to, to, like, I remember when my wife first came to America six years, uh, was it? Yeah, six years ago almost. Like, she grew up in village in Nigeria, went to a city for a little bit, but back in the village, she was 20 something years old, came to America for the first time. We're driving down the street. She saw somebody on the corner begging. And she's like, hey, what, like, what's going on there? I was like, oh, it's just, it's a homeless man. He doesn't have any, you know, doesn't have anything. She's like, wait, what? How is that possible? This is America. And mind you, this is coming from somebody whose dad, her, my wife's dad died when she was like two. She has five other siblings. So her mom, and her mom wasn't just, she had nothing because she had just married to this family and now all of a sudden she was abandoned. And so each one of their siblings went to go stay with a different relative. My wife has a twin brother. So her and her twin went to go stay with an aunt in a city called Joss. Everybody, like we were going to survive. No matter what, that's the culture there. And so and so that's another piece where there's no such thing as every man for himself. It's like, no, if, if I make it, we all make it. I'm so interested in the differences because I think a lot of people a lot of times think of things like that as like, oh, that's how things used to be. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's actually how the majority of the world lives now. <laughs> like, like we are the weird ones here. And and look, there are there are positives and negatives to both. But that's why your family is so incredible to me because it's this it's this mixture, right? Where you still value and honor the culture that you came from and that obviously your your wife is still a part of also. Um but you have this mixture of like American ideas too and you've been able to be successful and flourish in both, which I I just think is really cool. Ponder, I think what you were saying, I was um there was a book that I'm reading right now by Mark Batterson. It's called Play the Man. And in the introduction, uh, it, it tells a story of like, um, I'll, I'll just read a quote. And it's like, in 1744, the College of William and Mary sent a letter to six Native American chiefs offering a free education to 12 of their young braves. The chiefs politely declined the offer with the following reply. Several of our young people were formerly brought up at the colleges of the northern provinces. They were instructed in all your sciences, but when they came back to us, they were bad runners, ignorant of every means of living in the woods, unable to bear cold or hunger, knew neither how to build a cabin, take a deer, or kill an enemy, spoke our language imperfectly, and were therefore neither fit for hunters, warriors, or counselors." They were totally good for nothing. And then the chiefs then made an offer of their own. If the gentlemen of Virginia will send us a dozen of their sons, we will take care of their education, instruct them in all we know, 
and make men of them. How about that? That is perspective. That's the American, the way we do it is the only way. This is the best way. And don't get me wrong. I'm as patriotic as a, I've got an obnoxious amount of, of American flag clothing. Okay. Like I'm, <laughs> I love this country, but from my, my time traveling abroad and, and being in Africa and South America and that was one of the most eye-opening things to me. And Sam, that's why I so appreciate your um, commitment to not just, like I think a lot of, of children, of immigrants, struggle with, oh, now I just have to totally assimilate. So I'm going to kind of reject everything I grew up with and how my parents got here and the culture that I'm from. And I, I just want to be solely... Americanized. And I don't mean that in terms of American. Obviously, American means a lot of different things and it mostly means immigrants. But like, does that make sense when I say Americanized? Like you basically are rejecting all of your culture. And it's been beautiful for me to watch. I mean, I even loved getting to wear a Nigerian dress at your wedding, you know, like, and I was like eight yes. months pregnant, so it was not a good look, um, <laughs> but I waddled my way in there and I was proud. I was proud of you. I was proud of you for honoring your family. And I know it's a, sometimes it can get tricky um, and, and in how you are raising your own kids too and, and things you have to process. But I just want to say, I, 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 I can see from the outside looking that it's a challenge but you are doing it so beautifully and so well and I I so appreciate your commitment to doing both no thank you and it's and that's the thing like it's a both and I, I one thing I've realized and I I think it's because how I grew, grew up because I, I don't know if I mentioned this but since I was two like since I was as little as I could remember we would spend every other Christmas and New Year's in Nigeria and this was before my, my dad had, my dad in recent years or 10, however many years ago, built actually a huge compound, big old house and everything. This is back when my grandma had a hut. Like she straight up had a hut. Like you need to go to the bathroom. It was like, go out to the back. There's a little outhouse out there. Make it happen. Right. And it was like, that was what it was. Like there was no light. There was like a one lamp in her hut. But Christmas was a huge celebration. It was like a week long celebration. The Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Every single day, you're at somebody else's houses all the way up until New Year's. Like, it was this thing. And so, like, I grew up with that. But then I would come back to Dallas, Texas, and to St. Mark's, and to uh, Poco Curante, and Heath Townsend, and I would al almost, I'd almost forget about that. But, like, that's what I mean. Like, there was also something deep inside that was like, no, y'all don't understand what you're missing. You talk about that quote, Steve, from Play the Man. It's like, nah, come, come, send your, come bring your kids, and let's teach them how to be a man. And, and I think about, like, and that's something that, and I appreciate you saying that, Sam, but it's like, man, I just want people to see, like, I love culture, not only Nigerian culture, other people, other countries and cultures, like, just come and see, Steve, you and I have got a chance to go to a couple different prisons in, in the United States. So I'm talking about the largest maximum security prisons. And if you could come and see, in a lot of the places we've been to, there's a few of them, there's been huge changes and revivals, restorations. So the men there, like, I go there and, the, and I see a real man. I see men there who are who, who know the word inside now. I'm talking about the Louisiana State Penitentiary, which is the largest mass security prison. You and I went there a couple years ago. I, I go there. These men's lives have been changed. I know there's, I mean, it's, I don't want, don't want to say it's taboo. Like, I know, like, it, it hits home for a lot of people. Go there, and then you'll understand what, it, what it's like to be a real man. Or go to Nigeria, or go to these places, go to India, go to, go to some of these places where you would never think you're going to find joy or happiness or hope or what it means to be a man. And that's where you find it. 
that's where you find it. So how do you hold that thought and that knowledge from, from living it your whole life in the environment of an NFL locker room where it's like, so you making 10 mil this year or 15? Like you better hold out for that extra five. You know, like it's such a different world. And it, it, I imagine it creates some cognitive dissonance for you just in everyday life because you're so aware of how so many people live, how your own family in, in some ways lives. And then you're also around people where you don't want to disparage their reality either, right? Like the guy who's trying to get paid that extra million dollars and he's already made a hundred million, you, you don't want to discredit his reality, but how do you handle that internally? The biggest shift for me, and I'll never forget this moment, I was 15 years old and I'd gone on my first medical mission trip to Nigeria. Usually I'd go for Christmas and New Year's and it was a celebration. But this time I was going where we were actually going to see people who had, you know, stage four like AIDS. People who had were completely blind and hoping that some American doctor could heal them. Like people who would have a hernia and they needed help so much they'd literally pull their short up, shorts up and be like, hey, look, I got a hernia, I need surgery. Like, so I went on that trip. And I remember being on that trip, 15 years old, and and I was right in the thick freshman year, uh, St. Mark's, and and I remember going on this trip and meeting a kid. He probably looked like he was nine, 10 years old and had a you know, dingy shirt on and some shorts and some sandals. And I remember just talking to him. And we're talking and we, you know, talking, talking. And I'm looking at him like, hey, man, what's your name? And he says, my name is Samuel. And mind you, my name is Samuel. I'm like, oh, interesting, right? So we're talking, talking, you know, trying to find out where he's from, whatever. I said, man, how old are you? And he looks at me and he says, I'm 15. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, like I'm 15. I, like, how old are you? Like, you put it, 10. Like, like, literally, he was like skin and bone. He's like, I'm 15. And I remember like seeing that and being like, nah, nah, Lord. Like, this isn't, no, 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 no. Like, like, nah, this, it didn't make any sense. His parents were born in Nigeria. My parents were born in Nigeria. I didn't decide for my dad to come to America, for him to be a preacher and come to America and get discovered or whatever you want to say by some missionaries and come and have, do this education. And I didn't decide all that. I didn't decide to be able to be healthy and at this great school, the best school in the nation. And that, I didn't pick that. But he was Samuel and he was 15. And I was Samuel and I was 15. And it didn't make sense. But then all of a sudden it did. All of a sudden it did because I was like, oh no, like I got to do something for Samuel. And so like I remember going back and even another thing too, we had a shoot celebration for my grandma. She had just turned 80 or so and the shoot celebration and and we killed a cow, right? You know, people talk about killed the fattened calf. Like we killed this, there was this cow out in the back of our compound and he was just grazing and chilling, having a good time. And I remember asking somebody, hey, what's, what's up with that cow? Like, oh, that's, that's dinner. I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, what you mean? I remember like them killing that cow and the smell of that cow. I'll never forget that smell. And I remember going back, once we talk about these smells, I went back and to, to St. Mark's and it was like the first Thursday of the, of the new, new school year and it was hamburger day. And that smell came back and I was like, no, sir, I'm not eating these hamburgers. Y'all don't know about these cows. Like, but it was this thing. It was like, and like they ate every, I mean, every part of the cow, nothing was wasted. Nothing was wasted from the intestines to the feet to the, I mean, it was like, and so like, 
for me, it was this thing of like, no, I have to like, number one, there's so much more. Number two, I got to do something about this. Sam, I remember kind of a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings, you know, when you were still with the Bears super early, you know, you and Trey Burton and, you know, a number of the other guys, Pat O'Donnell and Prince and, and we just gather together and we'd study the scriptures and, you know, just watching, I'd watching you like lead and, I, you know, I really just saw your faith and it's kind of how you kind of even pulled the whole team together and, you know, a number of you guys said, hey, we're going to make a difference for the city of Chicago. It was just such a cool thing. And and even taking the owner of the Bears with us to that prison, Angola, you know, Louisiana State Penitentiary. And take we took him to a Lecrae concert. And so I'm like, we're going backstage seeing Lecrae. And I'm like, with George McCaskey, you know. It's just like, just this, this wild experience, which makes sense now. But I say all that because there was one moment in this Bible study that I'll never forget. And we, we were just kind of in a time of prayer and you sang an old Nigerian hymn. And it was like so beautiful and moving. And, and maybe it's because we've talked about you singing Frozen songs and maybe it's because it's on your Instagram if you follow. But I did think like part of how you have kept the culture and the memories of, of your grandma and the hut and, and, and the formation spiritually from your mother and your father, I saw like in a locker room, in a Bible study, you just singing this song and kind of breaking it down. We've not talked about this. You can say no, we can edit this out. But I just, I just thought for a second, maybe, maybe there's a way to like kind of wind this episode down with a little like Ibu hymn. Oh uh, Lord, you have been so good. You are so good to me. Oh Lord, you are excellent in my life every day. Oh Lord, you have been so good. You are so good to me. Oh Lord, you are excellent in my life. Ibu chimo, Ibu chimo. Ibuchimo and so that song. Um, I, I sorry, I can't clap and hold a mic at once. Yes, and I don't want to yell. <laughs> that was awesome. Yes, and what's so beautiful about that is as you're singing that, your son is two feet away from you, and you're singing those words. Oh, he's so adorable! It, just singing those words over him, um, and it's just like it's it's so you as like a father and as a leader. 
as a man of faith. I just, I, I just love you, bro. I'm so grateful for you. So I know you were going to break down that song a little bit, but I just, I'm too I'm going to say it for the next episode. I'm going to give you all the translation on the next episode. But no, essentially just talks about like, you are my God. You know what I mean? Like, you are my God, and there's nobody like you. There's a, there's a phrase in it that talks about, um, like, the Moses in the burning bush, right? You were the God who was in the burning bush. I mean, you're the protector of the saints. And so that's me. Yes, it is. Sam, you are not only a great dad um, and obviously a great football player and a great man, but one of the things I remember, I've known you now for nine years, which is weird, which kind of means we're getting old, but I remember... One of the first conversations we had when you got to Arizona, I will never forget this because I can't remember who I told afterwards, but I remember being just so confused that I told someone afterwards, which maybe is a bad reflection of me, but I remember sitting somewhere. Actually, no, I think we went to, uh, shoot, what is it called? The Game Place? Do you remember? Uh, Dave and Uh, Buster's. Buster's? Yes. Yes. Which was weird, but we went to Dave and Buster's and we were talking about... Uh, who, like who you were looking for, like to marry someday, and your list of what, who you wanted to marry was the most ridiculous, specific, <laughs> just insane. You were like, she's gonna be Nigerian, she's gonna be this tall, she's gonna do this, she's gonna sound like this, she's gonna be into this. She's and I'm like, listen, Sam, that's not a human. <laughs> that, that that is not a human. And you know what? I was wrong. That was in Kazi. And you have built this incredible life. And and we all know that it's by the grace of God. But man, you have you have not only been a a leader in action, but in spirit and in the way that you treat people. And now we're sounding like you just died and I'm speaking at your funeral. But <laughs> I I mean it. I've never known another human like you. And I'm just so grateful that you um have shared your story and and some of your your family and been vulnerable with us tonight because uh, I think it's going to help a lot of people. No, it means so much, Sam. And even knowing our relationship too, like even the even the fact of you saying that means a ton to me. So uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think about uh, I think about that conversation we had. I I will never forget it. <laughs> and even after I was like, am I like am I crazy? Because Sam said I was crazy. I'm like, yeah, you you are. <laughs> I was just trying to date a dude who wasn't getting out of jail at the time, so you should not have been listening to me. (laughs) Oh, gosh. You need better friends, man. (laughs) Yes, but I just think about that, and I think about my wife, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this isn't – sometimes I'm like, is she real? And I'm so serious because I think about, like, the things – I like, talk about these things I care about, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, she knows. She gets it. Like, she gets it. And she gets my insecurities and my struggle and my doubts and this whole like pleasing my dad thing. And she's like, but no, nah, man, we got our own family. We have our own legacy. And I even talked to her about this whole, this whole thing about legacy and inheritance. She's like, but but inheritance, we could do our own thing. Like, who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like, like you talk about boldness and courage and like, you know, like, like that's her, you know. And and even and even the fact you said that, Sam, we named our son my, my, Caleb. His first name is Caleb, uh, but his middle name is Chinaze Perez. And it means God answers prayers. And we named him that not only because he answered my prayer in fine in, in Ghazi, but also um, Ghazi's prayer in family and life and everything. Like God answers prayers. And so I just want to encourage anybody who's listening, like whether it's you're your hoping for a husband or a wife or whatever or a job or just some peace or security, like 
God answers prayers. Psalms 50, 15, he says, just call unto me and I'll answer you. And I'm like, dude, we don't even call unto God. Like I think about Matthew 7, 7, I can end, we can end here if we want, but it says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. And I always, and I used to always think about that verse of like, okay, what well, means I really got to ask for what I want in my next contract, or I got to ask my coach or this teammate or whatever. But you go on a couple of verses down and it's talking about God. It's like, God's like, nah, ask me. You know what I mean? He's like, he's like, what kind of, what kind of parent, uh, if, if a son asks, if a son asks for a fish, what kind of parent will give him a, a, a snake? It's not going to happen. Or if a son asks for a, a loaf of bread, it's going to give him a rock. And he says, so how much more so your heavenly father, if you don't ask him, he won't give you every good thing. And in Ngazi, which Ngazi means blessing in, in English, that's the translation, God has given me a blessing. He's given me every good thing. And like on so many different levels, I'm, I'm talking about not only physically, spiritually, but also levels of like, dude, my insecurities, like she can handle them. And I used to always think I didn't know who I was or I was too much for people. I'm like, nah, man, I'm just enough for her. And so not even to say that to say like, no, no one could ever com- complete you. Cause there's been ways, there's been times too, where she became somewhat of an idol in her opinion. Um, but she even gets that. She's like, nah, it ain't about me. Like, it's about God. Like, I'm here to worship God, right? Like DeAndre Hopkins, I fear God, homeboy, when he's fighting with the dude at the, at the training camp. I fear God. Like, and like with her, she fears God. And for me, I fear God. So it's like, you talk about like getting out of these insecurities of for me, pleasing my, my dad or my wife or trying to be this superhero for my son. It's like, nah, God, they're all yours. They're all yours. Like, I'm gonna fear you. That's oh, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. I'm also glad we're socially distanced, so you can't actually hug me right now. You know I'm not. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, it's only knows, fist bumps from here on out. It's on fist bumps. Yeah, yeah. He's he just keeps zooming like he keeps like tromboning like the film term in like in Zoom, like just going back and forth, rocking like just wanting like we can like touch us through the screen. But, please don't. Uh, please don't. <laughs> I can touch the hem of your garment. <laughs> oh man, well. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Home Team Podcast. Um, feel free to check us out online. We're on Twitter, at Home Team Pod, and on Instagram, home, at Home Team underscore pod. Subscribe, leave a review, reach out. But thanks so much for tuning in. And Sam Macho, thanks for singing to us. You're amazing. Love y'all.